Hey, it's Mark Evans, and you're listening to Marketing Spark. Marketers like being busy. Busy suggests that we're moving the ball forward and making the boss happy. But marketers waste a lot of time on things that don't matter. It's tools, side projects, channels that aren't working, and the list goes on. Michelle Tresemer is what I would call a marketing realist. A key part of her MO is helping companies focus on what matters. Welcome to Marketing Spark, Michelle. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Let's start with something that's a little bit of a twist or something that I haven't run across before. And this is a topic that you suggested around compounding defects. This is the idea of what happens to B2B marketing tactics when the vision and leadership strategy aren't clear. I would love it if you could provide a definition of compounding defects, why you think it's such an important concept for marketers to understand and embrace, and how you avoid this compacting defects problem. Loaded question. Lots of moving parts. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, a few months ago, I was trying to come up with a term or look and research to find an industry term to describe what happens down in the weeds of B2B marketing. And I'm talking tactics. I'm talking your SEO titles and descriptions, every single tweet. I couldn't figure out what it was that was causing all of that busyness for the sake of being busy and this obsession with the shiny objects and add, let's add TikTok, let's add all of this stuff. And I couldn't figure out the term for that. And I actually came across a construction term and the term is compounding defects. So let me unpack that in terms of marketing because it's it kind of fits perfectly. So Mark, you are... CMO, like you are way up here. Right. If that is not clear, and I'm going to use your podcast as an example, if you don't mind. If that vision, if your purpose, the reason why you exist is not clear, so that's at the foundational level of marketing, by the time you get all the way down to tactics, there are no guardrails. There is no direction. So everyone is just doing what they think is best. And it doesn't work. So the construction term, compounding defects, let me back it up. This is if you're building a foundation of a building. So think of a skyscraper. When you're doing those foundations, you might think, oh, I'm just like a quarter of an inch off. No big deal. Well, by the time you get to the 30th floor, that quarter of an inch has compounded with each and every floor. So by the time you get up there, you're off by several feet or, you know, and it's going to wobble and going to fall apart. So when we talk marketing, if that foundation is not solid, when you get down to tactics, it all falls apart. So I think I need you to elaborate. When you talk about the foundation, are you talking about the vision? Are you talking about strategic plans? Are you talking about goal setting? Are you sure. talking about all of those things in terms of establishing a rock solid foundation upon which tactical execution can happen? We actually consider there's 20 marketing foundations, but what you're talking about really, it's the leadership and management level. So let's take your podcast and walk through that if you don't mind. So way up at the top, like you are clear on B2B SaaS, right? And you've got all these podcast episodes way down at the bottom in tactical execution, right? So if you are not clear on B2B SaaS, you know, six months from now, you might have topics all over the place. And it's going to confuse your market. And you're going to have a ton of wasted time and energy 
and it's going to kind of destroy your brand. But because you're clear, your message is clear, who you hire, your vendors, your staff, your VAs, whomever that is, they are all clear on your key performance indicators. Like they know what you're trying to accomplish. It's all B2B SaaS, right? Mm -hmm. So no waste. But most companies we work with, they don't do that. They are not communicating the vision, the KPIs, the goals downstream. So they're hiring the wrong skill sets that are not aligned with their core vision. Interesting. What are the symptoms of compounding defects? How can an organization, the CEO, the CMO, recognize that what they've been doing for the last three, six, nine months isn't working because the foundation wasn't right? That leads are not as qualified all of a sudden, or the numbers have dropped. Um, that's a huge one. I am very tactical, so I like to be in the weeds. One of the things that CMOs can watch out for is if they have a whole bunch of drafts of content sitting in their inbox or on their desktop. This is a very specific example, but I see it without fail at all of the B2B companies that don't have this stuff together. So if the CMO, so your role, for example, if you don't feel good about approving a white paper or an ebook and you just think, ah, you know, technically this is written really well, but something's not quite right about it. It just sits there and it never gets approved. That's interesting because in some respects, it sounds like gut feel. Like when you see content as a CMO and you need to approve it and it doesn't, doesn't like your spider sense goes off. Yes. Yes. And it, there's no data involved because you, you haven't released it in the wild yet, but it's more like a feel. And I guess what you're saying is that if you have a solid foundation in place, those decisions go or no go are a lot clearer because there's a, there's a, a clear path forward in terms of how you should do marketing. Absolutely. You just did that wonderful webinar workshop on brand messaging. Right. If that is not in line, the content team has no litmus test to understand, is this going to resonate with the target audience? Am I hitting the key pain points? They're not doing that. So they're just writing it off of their gut feel. So by the time it gets to the CMO, you're right. Something is off, but you don't have that document to check it against. So then you just never approve it because you're busy doing other things, right? It's like, go rewrite it. But having those guidelines, that foundation, so it's super clear, it makes it really easy to approve things. Here's a loaded question. If you're the CMO and you recognize that compounding defects is a problem and you don't want to be there because that's a waste of people, time, and money, where do you start? It is a loaded question, but what are the first steps that a CMO should take and their marketing organization for that matter, in terms of making sure that the foundation's right so you can avoid compounding defects? You know, it's so funny. This is always the hardest thing to do. It's talking to the founder and the CEO. It starts with that vision for where the company is going. Everything else falls from that. And I know you work with a lot of probably B2B startups, the SaaS world. Sometimes the founders and CEOs aren't sure. But let me give you an example that I've experienced a lot in the past year. It's in terms of acquisition. Some CEOs, and I've had them tell this to my face, they don't have a big lofty vision. They just want to get acquired. 
totally fine. But getting that honesty out of them up front completely changes how we build that marketing infrastructure. We know, okay, we got to push it hard for 12 to 18 months because we're going to get acquired. That's a very different strategy than thinking, okay, five years from now, we need to be in you know this position. It's just different how you market. You're, you're thinking more long-term instead of short-term, we need to look like big deals so our, our price goes up, right? What about when you run into an entrepreneur or a co-founder who, when you ask them about their goals, yeah. they say more leads. That's it. Maybe they're not sophisticated from a sales and marketing perspective. At the end of the day, all they matter about is leads and sales. So you're dealing with a little bit of information to tackle a big problem. And there's lots of different variables that are involved. How do you build a foundation when the entrepreneur or or co-founder doesn't give you much guidance? Sometimes it's like pulling teeth, not going to lie. There is a reason that founder woke up one morning and decided, you know what? I'm going to solve this problem in our industry. There is a reason deep in there. I save your your webinar and your information and send it to people because it's amazing. Like they need to dig in and figure out why they exist and what they want for their company. If they're just thinking in terms of leads, which is not the end of the world, it's good to track those things, obviously, but they want to be somewhere in five years. And sometimes it, it is takes a little bit of digging to figure out, do you want to get acquired? Do you want to IPO? Do you want to be um, something very lofty like Microsoft? I was just looking at their original vision when they started. They wanted a a desktop computer in every home. There is some sort of vision like that that the founder has. They maybe just haven't articulated it yet. If you've got a foundation in place and you've got a strategic and tactical Mm -hmm. vision, one of the things I do wonder about is the idea of building a B2B digital marketing, like a toolbox. I mean, we talk a lot these days about marketing stacks and there are thousands of tools out there that can seduce uh, marketers and distract them at the same time. Can you define what a marketing toolbox looks like? What's in it? uh, And how many tools should marketers be using realistically? There's dozens we can have in our our portfolio, but how big is it? I guess that's the that's the basic question. Sure. Um, in my brain, there are eight digital marketing tools, and I'll talk about those in a second. But I love the toolbox analogy more than anything else. I always use the example, if you're a hammer, all you see is nails. If you are a social media specialist, you are going to try to use social media to solve all of your lead generation problems. If you're in SEO, you're going to look for organic search and SEO to solve the problem. As marketers, and I've seen this happen with companies, we need to take that step back and be more like the general contractor and know when to use each of those tools. It's really difficult because, you know, as CMOs, we have to understand how they all work and when to use each one. What mix of tools are we going to use? So it's the, you know, the basic ones, digital PR, I consider Mm -hmm. a tool. SEO, PPC, social media, email marketing, and your CRM usage, those kinds of things. Content marketing, obviously. One of the things that a lot of marketers battle is uh, what we would call shiny object syndrome. We see something, we get enchanted by it, we try <laughs> it, and before long, we've got you know accounts with dozens of different services, and there's an overlap between many of them. A lot of them we try once and we never use again, and then. I think what happens is that 
we get away from using three or four core tools that deliver a lot of value because we're just checking stuff up and maybe not getting as much value from the tools that we have. So why do marketers suffer from shiny object syndrome? And how do you counter that? How do you get discipline and structure so that you can focus on the tools that matter? It's bizarre. We have analyzed this for years and I think it comes down to fear. At the upper levels, it's a fear of, oh, we're missing out. Everybody else is doing this thing. Our competitors are trying this thing. We should be doing the thing. It's all fear. But if your data, your tracking is hooked up and you are laser focused on your target markets, that fixes all of that fear. You know, you can have the confidence to say, you know what, our target market isn't ready for that. They're not using it. We are not going to spend our time going down that rabbit hole. This is really difficult, you know, down in the weeds because it's usually the higher ups that are asking about the new thing. They heard about it at a networking event. No joke. I've had CEOs come into my office and say, hey, my niece just graduated college. See, she said we absolutely have to be on Instagram. Right. It's like, no, no, our target market isn't there. But if you don't have it documented, you can't refer to it. So I, I wouldn't have power to tell them no. But when you have that target market, you can say, hey, CEO, here's our target market. This is why that tool is not a good fit. Right? If you yeah. don't do that, you end up with marketing bloat. And when COVID hit, when the pandemic hit, the companies that were bloated kind of got screwed a bit because they don't know what to cut first. They know they have to cut budget because they're, they're just bloated. So you got to get back to that lean team. Having in that target market, the vision, everything clear, it prevents that bloat from happening. I think one of the biggest issues that I run into is that companies guess when it comes to who their customers are. They build these buyer personas or these ideal customer profiles. And in some respects, they may be fictional because they haven't talked to their customers enough. And one of the things all. I mentioned, or at all for that matter. Yeah. And one of the things I mentioned on LinkedIn recently was why are so many marketers talking about the value of knowing your customers? Is it marketing one-on-one that they want everyone to know? Or is it maybe... In some ways, it's a subconscious admission that they're not doing the grunt work that they need to do to do better marketing. Yeah, it's amazing how many of our clients even haven't called customers recently just to check in. There, There is this hesitation and fear, and I'm not sure exactly where it comes from, but I mean, I've hesitated to get testimonials from people before, and it's ridiculous. Like, I know I'm awesome. You know you're awesome. So why do we hesitate? So there's ways around that to find meaningful ways to still add value to the customer and also get that feedback. It's it's just kind of tricky to navigate. Any best practices in terms of talking to customers? Because I see that a lot. What do you use? What do you advise your clients on when it comes to really connecting with customers and getting the, the feedback and the direction that you need? Yeah, it all comes down to that relationship building. And I got to admit, I am a huge introvert, so it is incredibly difficult for me. But what has worked is processing it. I have a very strict calendar and I make sure to, you know, ping my my customers every couple months with no ask, just a, hey, checking in. I saw you did ABC, thought that was super cool. So when I go to ask for feedback, there's that relationship built. 
it is tough. Mm-hmm. The other area I wanted to cover is, and it, I this is an interesting conversation because in in many interviews that I do, we're focused on things you should do right, you know, best practices, <laughs> and and that's great. It does provide people with prescriptive and tangible guidance, but. The interesting thing about this conversation, it's almost the flip side, is that how to tell when things are going wrong or yeah. you know when things are going wrong. I guess one of the ways that we got connected is I downloaded an ebook uh, from your website looking at the five common cracks in B2B marketing Ooh. foundations and how to avoid them. Great ebook, very prescriptive. It's a little bit of clickbait because you see that and you go, I got, I got to read that. <laughs> Obviously, good marketing by a marketer. But let, why don't you look at some of these cracks? What are the cracks? And as important, how do you identify them? Thank you for referencing that ebook. It was super fun to write. It is probably the top five things that we have seen in working with over 120 companies over the last 10 years. And it's things you wouldn't consider that painful until it happens so often. You start um, seeing morale tank in a marketing department. You see a lot of turnover. And sometimes it's difficult for a CMO or CEO to identify what is going on in the marketing department because it's death by a thousand cuts, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, if you have, I don't know if you have the ebook handy because I'm trying to remember all the five cracks. Uh, (laughs) Why don't you give me the highlights in terms of the cracks? What are some of the biggest cracks that marketers should be able to recognize and then go about fixing them? Busy for busyness sakes is a huge one. It's your marketing team running around doing tactics and it's all at the last minute. So if anybody's listening to this and they are on the marketing team, kind of lower like junior or specialist for sure, you've heard it happen. Your boss will come in on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock and say, hey, we have a board meeting on Monday. I need these stats. There is absolutely no reason for that with modern marketing. You know when those meetings are coming up You know what you need to present. So why are these last minute things all rushed? It's everyone just running around like chickens with their heads cut off, scrambling. And that's scattered tactics, right? There is no strategy. There's no team meeting every quarter where you all decide this is our focus for the quarter. It lends itself to another topic that came up when we were arranging this podcast is when and how to turn off marketing tactics. Because oh. as marketers, we like to be busy. We like to be seen <laughs> as doing stuff. And as important, our bosses, the CMO, the CEO wants to see us doing stuff. Busyness means that we're getting stuff done in theory. Sometimes it's like you're, you're spinning your wheels. You're doing marketing, <laughs> but it's not going anywhere. How do you stop marketing tactics, especially when those tactics are seen as a key part of the marketing mix. Essentially, what you're doing is you're, in some respects, admitting defeat, saying this isn't working, but it's hard to do. It really is hard, for example, to stop blogging because your blog doesn't generate any traffic. What are the steps to saying, whoa, 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 we got to stop doing this and do something different? On the emotional side, again, it does come back to that fear. There is a fear of just stopping social media. That is a big one. And I pick on it a lot because a lot of B2B companies are just using it badly. They are using it as quote unquote free advertising where they're just spamming people with their calls to action and that's it. They're not actually engaging. So generally when I meet with clients, I'll ask, okay, how much time are you spending on social media? What is the cost of that thing? Once we get that established, which sometimes they don't know right away, great. How much is coming in? Right. Are you getting leads? Are you getting traffic? Are you getting anything 
tangible from this effort. And I know there's ghost audiences. People are going to see it. There's some awareness there. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, if you're really not getting anything from it, shut it off. And it's so fun to watch because I used to get more pushback when I would say, shut it off for a month. See if you lose anything. Most of the time they lose nothing because they weren't using it correctly to begin with. Um, Company newsletters, another one. Why are you spending time on this? No one's opening this. Like, look, go look at your data. They hate to shut it off. I mean, the panic that goes over these founders' faces when I say no one wants to hear you gas on about yourself in the company newsletter, like knock it off. It's fear. But when I put some stats to it, bring it back to that target market, all of a sudden they're doing less. So they're using less of those tools. They're getting way more from it because they know which ones are giving them a higher return. So we're reallocating resources. So it's pretty magical once it happens, but you got to get over that fear. One of the things that I do when I have a new client is I do a marketing audit. And it's very simplistic. It has nothing to do with data. It's more qualitative than anything else. And I'll ask them to list all their marketing activities and then score them from a scale of one to five. So be honest. They have to be honest (laughs) in terms of how they're doing. And they'll say, well, it's a four. Okay, so what's going on? What's going well? What's not going well? And when they look at it from a top-level perspective, when they get a sense of the whole landscape, then it really is an eye-opener in many ways because they understand that they're doing lots of things and some of them aren't working. Some of them are. But I think what happens is that no one wants to be seen as doing something different. It used to be that you never made a mistake if you bought IBM. Then it said, well, you never made a buy mistake if you bought Microsoft. But what that lends itself is we're going to use LinkedIn. We're going to use a newsletter. We're going to use a blog. We're doing do a podcast. We're going to do webinars because every other B2B SaaS company is doing that. And to do something different, to go against the grain is almost, is almost seen as making a mistake. And I think Maybe that's the, the lesson for any marketers. You can carve out your own path that's unique to your brand and your customers, and that's okay. But to your point, it takes a lot of courage to do that. It does. And you brought up the toolbox earlier. What you're talking about is being that general contractor and saying, what tools are we going to use to accomplish this thing? But most of the time, no one even thinks about what are we trying to accomplish? They're more worried about, oh, we got to be on LinkedIn. We got to be on TikTok. We have to be doing emails and webinars and white papers. Maybe not. Like It's okay. And there's different ways to get to that end. But people forget that an end exists. A year ago, when I had people on the podcast, I would ask them, so what's your take on the B2B SaaS landscape or the B2B landscape, given the fact that you're in the midst of a pandemic and we're locked down. Now, conferences are starting to happen. People are starting to get together and meet for lunch or coffee, the the normal things that we're used to. I'm curious about your take on the B2B landscape. How do you see it different from what happened a year ago or a year and a half ago for that matter? Do you think we're just going to go back to what we did before or from what you're seeing, are companies going to do? I think they're going to do it differently. I think they're going to ask why a lot more. And I've seen my clients do it as conferences start to open back up. They're finally asking, wait, why are we going to this again? Are we only going because our competitor is going to be there? Are there other ways to invest in that trade show or conference 
without requiring us to send our sales team there. So right. they really are getting really lean and being really careful where they're putting their time and energy. And I think because they were forced to cut and forced to go lean, they're not going to go crazy on that marketing bloat. They're going to be a little more careful when they add new tools. One of the things that struck me this morning when I was uh, doing some reading is that there's a marketer, a French marketer named Louis Grenier, and he was talking about conferences and the fact that most content, most programming at, at conferences is pretty at best okay. But what yeah. he loves is the connections and relationships. Yep. And I would love to see a conference that places a heavy em emphasis on helping people meet with each other, connect with like-minded people, facilitating places where we can compare notes and establish new connections. And the content could be secondary. I really don't go to a conference for the content. Any thoughts about how that might happen? How you might want to meet other people at conferences? That would be amazing if someone pulls that off. It's really tough to sell that for whoever's in charge of the budget, right? Because mm -hmm. you're, you're totally right. Conferences are all about the networking. I mean, when I used to go all the time, I would skip most of the sessions. No offense to any conference speakers, <laughs> but I would have meetings during that time and build those relationships. Um, so you've got to have some sort of framework for that, but I agree. It's got to be about those relationship building. Thanks for all the great insight, Michelle. Where can people learn more about you and Foundations First Marketing? You can go to foundationsfirstmarketing.com, download that ebook that Mark <laughs> recommended. <laughs> Definitely hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I love to nerd out about marketing strategy. Thanks for all your time. And thanks for listening to another episode of Marketing Spark. If you enjoyed the conversation, leave a review, subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app and share via social media. To learn more about how I help B2B SaaS companies as a fractional CMO, strategic advisor, and coach, send an email to mark at marketingspark.co or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'll talk to you later.